Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Six Packers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 39. Last week, we talked about everybody at Sunday Mass going to communion and almost nobody going to confession. One of the biggest reasons why people don't go to confession is that they really don't know or understand what's sin and what isn't. The reason they don't know or understand is because they've really never been taught. I made a deal with you last week that if you'd begin going to confession at least once a month, I'd help you form your conscience to be in conformity with natural and divine law. I have no way of knowing if you're keeping up with your end of the deal, but I'm going to uphold my end starting with this episode. So turn up whatever device you're listening to me on and prepare to be amazed about the things you thought you knew but find out you really don't. Don't worry. There's nothing boring about this episode or any future episode where I deal with Catholic morality. We'll get started right after this. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Our obvious focus is going to be on how we have to apply the Ten Commandments in our lives. The first three of the commandments deal with man's relationship to God. The last seven deal with man's relationship to God and man. I'm going to cover all three commandments dealing with man's relationship to God. Since most Catholics aren't familiar with exactly what the commandments are, I suppose it'd be a help if I told you what the first three are. 1. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods besides me. 2. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 3. Remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Now on their face, these commandments seem pretty straightforward, but they imply a whole lot more than what they say. Obviously, obedience to these commandments is contingent on our belief in God. If you need proof for the existence of God, go back and listen to a previous episode called Apathy or Disbelief. Before I begin on these commandments, I want to make something perfectly clear. No matter how great the temptation, we can always keep God's commandments because they'll always give us the necessary actual graces to do so. Of course, we have to cooperate with those graces. Now, God's never going to demand the impossible from us. He asks a lot of difficult things from us, but never anything that's impossible. Obviously, the first commandment obliges us to love God above all things and to worship and adore only Him. There's a lot more to it than that, though. Let's begin by looking at what the first commandment forbids, then we'll take a look at each of them individually. The first commandment forbids superstition, idolatry, spiritism, sacrilege, atheism, and participating in certain acts of non-Catholic worship. Already your mental wheels should be turning, because you probably don't know what some of these things are, and at least one other probably caused you to raise your eyebrows. Let's begin with superstition. Superstition is attributing to a creature a power that belongs only to God. Examples might be to use lucky charms or to be ruled by dreams. Idolatry, the next one on our list, consists of divinizing what is not God. Man commits idolatry when he honors and reveres a creature in place of God, whether this be gods, demons, or Satanism, power, pleasure, race, ancestors, the state, money, etc. Idolatry is probably the most common abuse of the first commandment. Perhaps the best way to find out if you're regularly guilty of idolatry is to take a moment to ask yourself what all the most important things are in your life. You may list things like your spouse, your kids, maybe your car or hobby. After you make a mental list of all the things that are important to you, think of each one and ask yourself, am I willing to give up this thing to do something God wants me to do? I recall when I was forced by circumstances to ask this to myself. I loved my sons more than anything else in life. I struggled for days with this question of whether I was willing to let them go in favor of God. Needless to say, I was in a tremendous turmoil. I had my peace restored only after I was able to honestly tell God that I was willing to sacrifice even my sons for him. I felt like a micro version of Abraham when he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac to God. Spiritism often implies divination or magical practices, such as conjuring the dead or having recourse to demonic powers. I really doubt if any of you six-packers have a problem with that, though. Sacrilege is a different matter. I'm fairly certain no six-packer commits sacrilege intentionally, but that doesn't make it any less an offense against God, objectively speaking. If you run a stop sign and hit a car, killing the driver, you never intended to kill anyone, but that doesn't change the fact that someone died. 
Sacrilege is an act of irreligion. It's the mistreatment of sacred persons, places, or things. An example would be to receive communion in a state of mortal sin, since this would be an abuse of the Eucharist. Another example would be to speak disrespectfully of a priest or bishop. You could be speaking 100% truth about a priest or bishop, which is okay, but the possibility of sacrilege comes in the way you go about saying it. It's no secret that I'm a very vocal critic of Pope Francis. I believe he's a socialist and promotes a number of other heresies as well. However, whereas I might criticize socialist Democrat politicians by saying things like they're booger-eating morons, I'd never dream of calling Pope Frank a booger-eating moron. The reason that would be sacrilege is because I'd be abusing a sacred person who's consecrated to God. It's okay to be critical of the actions or words of the Pope, bishops, and priests, especially when it comes to orthodoxy, but such criticisms must be made respectfully. Atheism is the denial of God's existence. It's called practical atheism when a person lives a lifestyle that completely ignores God and his laws. Practical atheism is a biggie in today's culture and society, even among Catholics. If your words say, I believe in God, but your lifestyle and actions ignore what he teaches in the Bible and through the magisterium of the church, you're a practical atheist. Think about that before you dismiss this. Now for the one that will probably surprise you, that is, participating in certain acts of non-Catholic worship. Ecumenism is the dialogue between Catholics and non-Catholics that leads to the reconciliation of all Christians in the unity of the one and only Church of Christ. Although we should promote ecumenism as often as possible, there's still certain acts of non-Catholic worship that are wrong, because such activity implies that a Catholic believes that other religions that lack the fullness of the faith are on an equal par with Catholicism. For example, Catholics may never, ever participate in a Protestant communion service, often called the Lord's Supper by them, because Christ is only truly present in the Holy Eucharist on Catholic altars. Another example is that normally Catholics are not permitted to attend the wedding of a Catholic who's being married outside the church, because this implies that the sacrament of matrimony, which is a form of worship because it's a sacrament, isn't necessary to be married. I even know some Catholics who didn't attend their own children's weddings because of this. When in doubt, consult your pastor. Personally, I limit my non-Catholic activity to prayer. Well, actually, a little more than that. I've always loved Protestant Southern Gospel music. About a decade ago, I discovered bluegrass gospel music, which I also love. So I go to performances where those songs are played. That's okay. However, if a minister is there and he begins preaching, I leave. My presence implies that I agree with what's being preached, and that raises the possibility of scandal, which we'll look at when we get to the Fifth Commandment. Another thing I'd never do is participate in a Protestant Bible study. To do so would imply that I agree with what's being gleaned from the Scriptures. For the record, at least 90% of what would be taught in a Protestant Bible study would be misrepresentations at best and heresies at worst. Protestants have absolutely no authority to interpret the Bible, 
that authority is vested in the church alone. So how should Catholics worship? Well, there are seven sacraments, and to participate in any one of them is divine worship, because Jesus established all of them. However, participating well in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is the most important way to worship God. For an explanation of why that's true, go back and listen to the episode titled The Lady Will Save the Church, Not the Bishops. Now let's move on to the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The second commandment obliges us to always speak of God, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the saints, and sacred persons, places, and things with reverence because they're consecrated to God. It obligates us to take oaths truthfully and to be faithful in fulfilling promissory oaths and vows. The things forbidden by the second commandment are profanity, blasphemy, cursing, and carelessness or deceit in taking oaths and making vows. Two of these forbidden practices are probably completely different from what you think they are. The first one's profanity. Profanity is the abuse of God's name, that is, every improper use of the names of God, Jesus Christ, but also the Virgin Mary and all the saints. We violate this, usually in a venial way, when, for example, we use these holy names when expressing anger or surprise. So profanity isn't what you thought at all, is it? The next surprise for you will be cursing. Many mistakenly believe cursing is the use of vulgar language. This couldn't be further from the truth. While the use of vulgar language can be sinful if used in mixed company or in the presence of children, in and of itself, vulgar language isn't inherently evil. The equation of vulgar language with cursing is the result of Protestant fundamentalist influences that have crept into Catholicism. Cursing is actually what the term implies, the invoking of evil upon a person, place, or thing. It's sinful to curse animals chiefly because of the uncontrolled anger or impatience involved. It's sinful to curse a human being because that person is made in the image and likeness of God. That was a new revelation for you, wasn't it? Blasphemy is real common today, even by Catholics. Folks who blaspheme, and you may be one of them, don't realize they're doing it because they haven't been taught any better. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Blasphemy consists in uttering against God, inwardly or outwardly, words of hatred, reproach, or defiance, in speaking ill of God, in failing in respect toward Him in one's speech, in misusing God's name. The prohibition of blasphemy extends to language against Christ's church, the saints, and sacred things. Blasphemy is contrary to the respect due God and His holy name. It is in itself a grave sin. Get that? Blasphemy is a grave sin, meaning it's a sin that condemns you to eternity in hell if you die with that sin on your soul. The most common blasphemy today comes from Catholics who say horrible things about the church. There seems to be no end to the scandal associated with homosexuality in the priesthood. There's never anything wrong with speaking the truth regarding these scandals, but many Catholics have taken to saying horrible things about the Church. The Catholic Church isn't some institution or club, but a living divine organism. Jesus is the head of the Church, and we are the body. The Holy Spirit is the soul of the Church. 
than to say horrible things about the church is to say horrible things about God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And that's blasphemy. Finally, let's talk about the third commandment. Remember to keep holy the Lord's day. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the precept of the church specifies the law of the Lord more precisely. On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. The precept of participating in the Mass is satisfied by assistance at a Mass, which is celebrated anywhere in the Catholic Rite, either on the holy day or on the evening of the preceding day. This commandment also obligates us to avoid any activities which hinder the renewal of body and soul. The Mass is the highest form of worship of God there is, because it's the perpetuation of Christ's redeeming sacrifice on the cross. As St. John Chrysostom wrote, You cannot pray at home as at church, where there is a great multitude, where exclamations are cried out to God as from one great heart, and where there is something more, the union of minds, the accord of souls, the bond of charity, the prayers of the priests. We must be physically present at Mass in order to fulfill our obligation. Televised Masses, which are a real consolation to the homebound who can't attend Mass, are not acceptable means of fulfilling our Sunday obligation. Furthermore, to miss a notable part of the Mass, that is, to arrive late or leave early, could be a sin and not meet the Sunday obligation. Unless you're excused because of a very good reason, I repeat, a very good reason, you commit a mortal sin if you fail to participate in the Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. I want to make an additional observation about Vigil Mass on Saturday. None of you six-packers are old enough to realize this, but the Saturday night Vigil Mass for Sunday is a privilege only begun after Vatican II. The church authorized the Vigil Mass so people who found it difficult or impossible to go to Sunday Mass could still hear the Sunday liturgy and meet their Mass obligation. Let me repeat, the Saturday Vigil Mass is a privilege. It was never intended to be a convenience allowing you to skip Sunday Mass. The Vigil Mass is to be used only by people who can't attend Mass on Sunday. The vigil doesn't exist so you can sleep in or go fishing on Sunday. Sunday is still the day set apart by God and his church for worship and renewal of mind and body. If you're going to the vigil mass when you can make it to a regular Sunday mass, you're abusing the vigil privilege. Now, I don't want you to think there's sin involved if you abuse the Saturday vigil. There isn't. But you may want to think of it in another light. If your mother gave you a birthday present and a wrap package and insisted you wait until your birthday to open it, but you decided to open it the day before your birthday, would it be a sin? Of course not. After all, it's your property. Mom gave it to you. But if you opened the package early and your mom found out, do you think she'd be disappointed with you? Probably because she asked you to indulge her in her preference. The same thing is true when it comes to the vigil mass. Jesus' preference is that you go on Sunday. Always remember that the choice isn't always between good and evil. Sometimes it's between good and better. That's something to think about. 
Okay, so we've covered the most basic things in the first three commandments. It can go a lot deeper, but we've covered the most basic stuff here to help you better form your conscience. In future episodes, we'll tackle other moral issues. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic News Pick number 5. Hats off to LifeSite News. A widely recognized and respected American priest has responded to Pope Francis' recent remark on young rigid priests, saying in a social media post addressed to the Pope that he must honestly and painfully say that I am worried of being scorned and demonized by you. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number 4. Hats off to LifeSite News. A state legislature in Australia passed a law that would impose sentences on priests who fail to report child abusers who come to them for the sacrament of confession. Watch out, coming to a nation near you soon. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number 3. Hats off to LifeSite News. Two Arizona calligraphers at the heart of yet another religious liberty battle won a major victory recently in the Arizona Supreme Court's ruling that business owners have the right to choose not to provide certain products to same-sex weddings. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number 2 Hats off to LifeSite News. A woman conceived in rape told South Carolina lawmakers in a powerful speech that allowing abortion in the case of rape as part of the proposed heartbeat bill, quote, tells people like me that you don't deserve to be a living, that you're subhuman somehow, end quote. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. The California legislature has voted in a resolution that blames, quote, religious groups who hold to biblical understandings of sex and gender responsible for disproportionately high rates of suicide among homosexuals and transgenders. Watch out! Christianity is really under persecution in America despite the First Amendment. Once they start blaming us for the deaths of others, our own deaths aren't far behind. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Anthony Collins was an 18th century free thinker. One day he met a simple farmer going to church. He asked the farmer where he was going. To church, sir, was the answer. What are you going to do there? I'm going to worship God. Tell me, is your God great or a little God? He's both, sir, answered the farmer. How can that be? He's so great, sir, that heaven can't contain him, and so little that he can come and live in my heart. Collins declared that this simple answer had more influence on his mind than all the volumes that learned writers had written against him. The same truth was expressed during World War II when a group of British and American prisoners of war limped barefoot and ragged into a British camp in the Pacific after a march of 60 miles from a Japanese prison camp. Their first request wasn't food, 
clothing, a shower, bandages, and medical attention, their first request, expressed by an American lieutenant, was that mass be said for the group. Without their breakfast, without a shower or any comfort, those tired boys knelt around the altar and attended Holy Mass. Every single one received Holy Communion. To receive Jesus in communion is the most wonderful thing that can happen to you because it means having the infinitely great God in your own heart. The Holy Eucharist is the greatest and holiest of the sacraments because it contains God himself. How great his love must be for you that he'd stoop so low to reach you. Do you appreciate Holy Communion as the farmer and soldiers did? Hey, six-packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.